So if you're fairly new to following Renewal Church online, then I just want to give you a quick recap and get you up to speed on what our church has been meditating on the last several weeks. God has led us to focus on the book of Galatians in a series called Free at Last. We have been contemplating how God takes people that are enslaved to fear and enslaved to their sin through the power of his spirit through the gospel. God is liberating sons and daughters and bringing them into his presence and into joy. And so this series is called Free at Last. Because God's purpose for you and for me is freedom. Galatians 1, 4. So the book opens with this. It says, Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. And so people, when they're born into this world, they're born into a a country, into a world that is occupied by the enemy. And there is a battle that is waging and maybe you can't see it. It's invisible, but there's a very real spiritual evil force that has occupied this world. And Jesus is at work through his gospel in freeing us. And so it says that he gave himself to deliver us, to free us from this present evil age. And so we have freedom from idols that would enslave us. We have freedom from fear and anxiety that would just grip us. And we live in the age today where there is anxiety and pandemonium and just chaos with the world that is thrown into a pandemic. And Jesus is freeing people from fear. And he is setting us free so that we can run to him and enjoy him and live our purpose of enjoying him in his presence. So we are free at last. Today, we're going to be considering how we we have been set free for others. And so that's today's theme. That's the title for today's sermon, set free for others. So here's what I mean. God did not send Jesus to save just you or me. When he was dying on the cross, he was not thinking about just you or just me. Jesus has a plan to rescue people from all nations, from all language groups, from all nationalities, and he is saving a people that will love him and treasure him, that will see his glory, that will enjoy his presence, that will worship him. So it has always been, always will be about God rescuing a multitude that no one can number of every tribe, nation, and tongue, worshiping the lamb who was slain for eternity. And so we are set free for others. So this is at the very heart of the purpose of God in creation and in redemption, that he would create a people that together will seek his beauty and treasure him. And then in this togetherness as his people, that we would display the glory of God to a dark world so that more people can be set free and brought into the kingdom of light and enjoy their God and live out their purpose. And so today, as we continue in Galatians, we'll be at the very end of chapter 5 and in the first part of chapter 6. Let me give you the primary truth from Galatians 5.25 through 6, verse 5. And if you're taking notes, the primary truth is that the Spirit gives us freedom so that we can deeply love other people. Let me say that again so that we're all on the same page. We have been set free 
by the Spirit so that we can deeply love other people. So this is a really timely message that I believe God has given to the Renewal Church family and those of you that are following us online in the middle of this coronavirus pandemic and with the news this week from local officials that we are in a shelter in place where we're not even allowed to leave our homes unless it's for something essential. So we're like locked down right now. And the level of anxiety and fear and uncertainty is crazy. It feels like we're falling down a pit and we don't even know where the bottom is. And we don't know when we're going to finally reach the bottom of this pandemic and finally come out of it. And so in the middle of our environment, where there is so much unknown and anxiety all around us, this is a message that the Spirit of God wants us to know and believe that we are being set free by the Spirit so that we can then deeply love other people. We need each other more now than ever before. None of us can get through this alone. We think we can, but God made us for community to reflect who he is. And so we need one another. And the people of God need to still have a sense of unity, even in the middle of social distancing. We can still have hearts that are connected. We can still reflect God's glory in having community, even in the middle of this pandemic. And so let's, let's jump right into Galatians chapter 5 and see how we truly do need each other from God's Word. Galatians 5, we'll begin in verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And then chapter 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and let his reason to boast be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. And there is so much here in this text that we need to unpack. So it begins at verse 25, where it says, If we live by the Spirit, then also keep in step with the Spirit. That sentence, in a lot of ways, is the summary of the entire book of Galatians we've been studying for the last several weeks. This theme of we have been set free by the Spirit runs from the very beginning of the book all the way to the very end in chapter 6. And this freedom that we receive because Christ's work on the cross comes to us. It's brought to us through the Holy Spirit. I'll give you an example from chapter 4, verse 6. It says that we are no longer slaves. It says instead we are sons. God has sent the Spirit into our hearts and we cry out, Abba, Father. So we're no longer enslaved. We are set free and we are set free. It says through the spirit. And now we know God as our father and we just cry out to him. And it says that it's the spirit that gives us this freedom from the darkness and from our idols and brings us into the family of God. 
It is all through the work of the Holy Spirit. And then if you look right before that, where we looked at this two weeks ago, our associate pastor Colton preached on the end of chapter 5. And in verses 19 through 21, it describes the works of the flesh. And there's a long list of different examples from envy and strife to sexual morality. There's a whole list of examples of what it looks like to be enslaved and to not be walking in the spirit. And then you get to verses 22 and 23 in chapter 5. It describes the fruits of the spirit, how we have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This, this list is not a moral to-do list. God is not saying love and have peace and have patience. This is not a command. This list is also not a list of bragging rights, of accomplishments. The fruits of the Spirit is the result. That's what it looks like when someone is walking in the Spirit. And so as we, as we think about this, this primary truth from this text, where it says, if we live by the Spirit, then let us keep in step with the Spirit. This primary truth of we have been given freedom by the Spirit so that we can love others deeply. The first half of this main idea is what we're seeing here in verse 25. He says, if you live by the Spirit, let us also walk in step with the Spirit. So we're called to receive this freedom from the Spirit, which is why the Spirit then produces things like love. And if you think about that, that is something that you do for other people. You love others. And then it says that we, He produces patience. Well, patience. We have patience for other people. And then it says He produces kindness. We're kind towards other people. And He produces gentleness. We're gentle towards other people. So that's why you see that there's this two sides of primary truth where we receive freedom by the Spirit so that we can then deeply love other people. Spirit produces this life in us, transforms our hearts so that we're then able to love other people. Some people think, well, what is the evidence that you have the Holy Spirit? And we might think it's some deep or, or mystical union. It is that, but it's more, far more than that. The evidence that we have the Holy Spirit is that we love other people. This is the evidence that we've been changed by God, that we've received His freedom. It's evidence, it's, it's demonstrated with love for other people. So when you think about the church, the people of God, are they a burden to you? Are God's people a bother to you or an inconvenience? Or maybe, this is crazy, but maybe, just maybe some of you secretly aren't all that upset about COVID-19 because quite honestly, you like staying home on a Sunday and you like being able to just leisurely put on the YouTube channel and watch a sermon with without having to worry about or be bothered by other people, not having to serve other people or, or be put out of your way by other people. And you're just like loving this current season of not having to gather on Sundays. 
If that's you, I would invite you, brother or sister, to just do some heart work this week. And why is that? I believe that there should be a longing, a yearning for us to be together. God's people aren't an inconvenience or an impediment or a burden. They're the people that Jesus loves and it's our family. We are the family of God. And so he is giving us freedom so that we can love other people. So we receive his renewal so that we can then bring his renewal to others. We receive his freedom so that we can have others know and they can have freedom too. We have received God's mercy for his mission. Or you can say this, we have been saved to serve. There is a purpose in our salvation and it is bigger than just you or me. So the first half is my idea is that we receive freedom through the spirit so that number two, we can deeply love other people. Now in this text that we just read, before the apostle Paul was inspired by the spirit of God to tell us exactly how to love other people, he first tells us how not to. So he starts with saying, here's how you don't do it. And then he tells us how to do it. So he first says, well, here's how you don't love other people. In verse 26, that we just read a second ago. Here's what he says, I'll read it to you again. This is 526. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So he gives two words there. He says, not provoking and not envying. But both of those are participles, I-N-G words that show continuous action. But they flow from the first word that is conceited. So he says, you don't love by being conceited. Now that word conceit, it refers to having emptiness. And so it means vain, glorious, if you want a literal translation. So if, if you speak Spanish and you know that vain glorioso is just a word that describes someone that's very arrogant or prideful or is very vain. And so vain refers to being empty or hollow. So the word conceited here refers to a being empty of honor. And so there's this emptiness and we don't feel worthy, where we don't feel valuable. We feel like we're rubbish or like we're worthless. And this deep insecurity, because that's what it's rooted in. So this, this conceit at its root, its essence, it's an insecurity where we don't know our worth or don't believe that we're really valuable. And so what happens is it leads us to chase worth or to chase value by proving ourselves, proving ourselves to us and proving ourselves to other people. So that's what's at the root of this being conceited. And what happens when we have this emptiness and this insecurity where we're, we don't know that we're valuable, what happens is that we begin to compare. Comparison is the first thing that we do. We, we compare ourselves and there's two words described here that, that capture this comparison that we do. We just mentioned it, provoking and envying one another. Both of them come from the same root of insecurity and of being conceited. So the word provoking, what that word comes from, it means to challenge or to like try to fight someone or, or to have a competition with someone. And so when, when you are insecure about yourself 
what happens is you compare yourself to other people. And sometimes when you compare yourself to other people, you will see people that you feel like you're better than them. So you'll feel superior to certain people. Maybe they're not as good looking as you or not as intelligent as you, or maybe they make less money than you do, or you feel like you're more spiritual than them. Whatever it is, you, you feel somehow superior to other people. And so you being provoking is a looking down on other people people because you feel like you're more moral, more superior to them in some way. So that's provoking. Now, the other word is envying. Now, this is wanting something that someone else owns. So something that rightfully belongs to someone else, you want it or you don't want them to have it. And so you are envying them. And it's the same roots, just like that person that is provoking, that has this facade of being proud and arrogant. And the inside, they're just broken and insecure and feel empty. And so they, they have this bravado and this arrogance that is nothing more than just a facade and a mask to hide their pain and maybe self-hatred or their insecurity. The person that is envying has the exact same heart problem. They also feel insecure and hollow and feel like they're not worthy and they're not good enough or they can't measure up. So then they envy others because they feel others look down on them and they don't feel like they're important or valuable. So whether you're feeling superior or inferior to people, what you're doing is is you're trying to gain worth through competition. You're keeping score with other people in your relationships. So I'll give an example in the church. You can have one person who is serving in one capacity, whether it's set up or teaching or leading a ministry team. And there's someone else that is leading in a whole different area in the church, like worship team or you name it. And then this person looks at this person and can think, oh, what I'm doing is way more important or I'm serving more than the other person is. And we begin to compare based upon our perception of how we think other people are serving and you're keeping score and you're causing division in the faith family. When you don't have to worry about how someone else is serving, you just serve the way God's called you to serve within your gifts and your calling rather than this comparing and keeping score and causing all kinds of division in the faith family. And so let us be a people that don't go into either of these that are not provoking or envying one another. Because what happens is is we try to control or manipulate other people rather than simply love them and not seek real relationship with real connection. And just to give you a a few thoughts, just, just for you to think through this week on there are several types of unhealthy relationships that at their essence, there's this insecurity that leads us to pursue unhealthy relationships. One example, what I'm calling is like virtual relationships. This is people that all their friendships or, or really the majority of them are just on some kind of an online platform where maybe you game together or you have these different social media avenues where you connect with people and have what we call online community. And maybe you follow people or you like people 
but you don't actually have real connections with people. And this creates this sense of having community, but it's not real. It's shallow. And so we need real people with real connections. And oftentimes it's an insecurity that pushes us towards wanting only virtual or digital relationships. Another example is what I call a shared interest relationship. So people that share the same interests. And so maybe it's a hobby or maybe it's a sport or kids activities or maybe a common enemy at work or any number of things where where you share a common interest. And it's that common interest that, that binds you together and becomes the foundation for your friendship with that other person. But all of your interaction with that person is exclusively just on that one shared interest. And it becomes kind of like a one-dimensional thing where you're not really involving all of your life and you're not really sharing your life with that person. It's important for us to have friendships that are multidimensional, where we share different things and we share all of our lives with each other where people that are different from you, that you befriend and pursue even in the church because then you can be challenged and grow and and not have these blind spots that can happen when all the friendships are just centered on just one particular shared interest. Now, there's a third unhealthy friendship that I think also comes from this deep insecurity, and that's what I'm going to call a resource friendship. What I'm talking about by a resource friendship is when you see people as a means to an end, where you, where you want people's friendship, not because you love them, but because through that person, maybe you can get into their sphere of influence or into their social circle that you want to be a part of, or, or you'll befriend someone because maybe bring some kind of a financial gain, or you'll seek friendships just because it will increase your self-esteem because you can say, hey, that person, I'm his or her friend. You can name drop. It makes you feel more valuable or more important. And what happens is, is we take people made in God's image and we minimize them so that they're no longer people, but what they become is just resources where we look at each other and we think, what can I get from you? Instead of asking, how can I love you? How can I serve you? How can I meet your needs? And if you're struggling with having real relationships, because again, here's the point. Remember the main idea that we're talking about is that the Spirit of God gives us freedom so that we can love others deeply. And if you're struggling with that, if you're struggling with loving others genuinely and deeply, then the solution is that you need more of God's freedom. You need the gospel. The gospel is this stunning message that you and I are more evil than we could ever imagine. But it's also the message that we are more loved and accepted than we could ever hope for. We are accepted. You are, if you know Jesus, you are a child of God, a son or daughter. You are redeemed and you have his spirit 
and purpose and God already approves of you. You don't need to earn anything. You don't have to impress anyone. You have no reason to be insecure. See, what the gospel does is it makes us confident. Why? It makes us confident because we know that we're loved and we have the spirit and we have a purpose and we, we have God's strength and his wisdom and spirits leading. And so we can walk in confidence and we need to walk with audacious faith, with this bold confidence. But we also, the gospel, what it does is it makes us humble. Why? Because we know how much we've been forgiven. We know the mercy that we've received. And so we walk with this bold confidence and yet with a gentleness, with a security, with a humility. And so the cure for our insecure souls is the gospel. Drawing near to Jesus, feeding your soul from his word. Hearing the voice of the Spirit as you draw near to Him in prayer, as you worship Him every day. As we just read, if you live in the Spirit, then keep in step with the Spirit. You have life because of and through and in the Spirit of God. And so now you can live in step, live consistently, live in line with who God has made you to be, in line with the gospel. We don't have to be insecure. We don't have to manipulate and control people. We don't have to have toxic relationships. We are set free by the Spirit so that we can love others deeply. But the question is how? How exactly do we love deeply? Well, Galatians chapter 2, I'm sorry, verse 2. We just read it in chapter 6. We'll go back to chapter to verse 1 rather in, in, in just a few minutes. Verse 1 is an example that we'll come back to at the end. Verse 2 tells us specifically how we can love others deeply. It says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So we're told that this loving is a bearing each other's burdens. So you think, well, what, what burdens? People have all kinds of burdens. You have physical burdens, emotional, spiritual physical, relational. I mean, there are so many different ways. Financial burdens. There are so many things, sin struggles. So let's just define it this way. A burden is anything that is a heavy weight on your soul that would threaten to crush your joy in Jesus. So a burden is anything that's heavy on you that makes you just feel down or this weightiness that robs you of joy in Christ. A burden draws you away from Jesus. It becomes an impediment and it, it threatens to crush us and crush our lives, our vitality, our faith. So all of us have different kinds of burdens. And right now, there are so many burdens. Just look around you. The fear and the anxiety, I mean, it's a burden to go to HB. Like, it's, it's a burden to just go to the grocery store and try to find toilet paper. Like, like, there's so many things that are so little, and yet the right now have become such a real burden. And these burdens would crush us and, and draw us away from our love in God. 
And so the call here is to get close, get right up next to and under the weight, next to your brother, your sister, and share that load with him or her. Lessen their burden, alleviate the burden. That is love. Anytime that you seek to lighten someone else's load, that is love. May we be a people with eyes wide open where we're not focusing just ourselves and woe is me in this pandemic. May we be looking to our neighbors on our street and people in our church that you can still call and message and video chat with and see how they're doing. May we seek to intentionally lighten the load of one another. And in doing so, it says that we fulfilled the law of Christ. Maybe you're thinking, why does it say fulfill the law of Christ? If you've been following us for the last several weeks, you know that Galatians is all about how we have freedom from this tyranny, from this slavery of having to fulfill the law and earn our salvation. And so we are free from a performance and empty religion. But what we have is God's spirit that comes into us, changes our hearts and gives us the ability to then through the spirit want to obey. And yet here it says, fulfill the law of Christ. What does that mean? What Jesus told us in John 13, verse 34, Jesus said, and you commandments I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So what is this commandment? What is this law of Christ that he exemplified and that he gave us? Well, the law of Christ is Holy Spirit-empowered love. The law of Christ is loving others. Why it says, bear each other's burdens. And when you do, you're fulfilling the law of Christ. When you bear each other's burdens, when you lighten people's loads, you are loving them. It is a way that we channel God's love through us to other people. There's a reason why the very first fruit of the Spirit is called love. He produces love in us so that we can then love others in his name. I'm talking about real love. Love, if you want a definition for it, it's love is when you have an overflow of joy in God that meets the needs of others. And so there's this loving God, walking in the spirit, there's enjoying God. And then out of the overflow of that, you love other people by meeting their needs. And I have seen this and have personally been a recipient of this. Over this last week, it has been so humbling seeing Renewal Church be the church. Yes, I understand. We can't gather on Sundays, all of us together. We're forced to make, you know, these online sermons. But I have seen our church be the church. I have had people call me more than one saying, Matthew, do you need eggs? And then I say, yes, we have eggs. And then I'm with Bonnie driving home with like these eight eggs. And it's like this precious cargo in our car because you can't just go buy it in the store. People calling me, do you need toilet paper? People calling me, I'm at the store and they actually have meat. What do you need? And people calling me saying, hey, 
I have this, and it's just been absolutely amazing. And then, like, there's become, like, this barter system where I'll say, well, I have some vegetables, and I'll bring you the vegetables. You got some eggs? Yeah, I got some eggs. And it's been this beautiful thing that I have seen. I've heard about church members that are going to fellow members' homes and that are watching their children to give moms just a breather. It has been humbling to see our church step up and really be the church and love each other well. In the middle of social distancing and the coronavirus, we see that God is still at work and we can still love one another well. And may we continue to be intentional with doing that for however long this lasts. And when this season is over, may we continue to be intentional to love each other well. Verses 3, 4, and 5 that we read earlier are, can be a bit confusing. I'll explain them, and it makes perfect sense. For if anyone thinks that he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and let his reason to boast be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. So I'll explain, because these verses could seem to contradict verse 2, but it all fits perfectly when you understand the overall theme. And so what you're seeing here in verse 3, it says that we need a healthy view of who we are and not have an elevated view ourselves, but a, a very healthy view that we are sinners saved by grace. And what's good in us is because of the grace of God so that we don't get conceited, so that we stay humble and confident, but also humble. Verse 4 describes not comparing your accomplishments with other people's accomplishments. And so it says measure yourself by yourself. And so it's this idea of don't compare your serving or your knowledge or your spirituality to someone else. Just You just follow your God and, and don't compare. Just love others and don't be insecure and don't keep score with relationships. Just love people. And then verse 5 describes that we have to bear our own load. You might think, well, wait, that sounds like that contradicts verse 2 because verse 2 says, share the burden. And here it says, carry your own load. Well, yes, in verse 2, it describes a heavy burden that would crush us that we need help carrying. But verse 5 describes this load, a different word. It's the word for like a backpack, like just a small pack that you can carry on your back rather easily that's not overly heavy. This is describing the fact that we all have our individual responsibilities before God. The points here is same theme, love, don't compare. Don't compare yourself and your accomplishments or who you are to others for better or worse. Just keep your eyes focused on Jesus and stay in your lane following his calling on your life. And if you look around to others, look around for how you can love and meet needs and lighten loads. Don't look around to compare to see how you measure up with other people. Because envy, the heart of envy would cry out and say, God, look at him. He's better looking. Look at him. He's got more money. He's got a better job. He's got a better wife or he's got a whatever. And, and we get envious and that hurts relationships. But then the heart of pride, what says, I'm better than that person. I love God more than him. I'm a better mom than she is. Equally destroys relationships. Let me give you a synopsis. Here's 
the point. Here's the key that you want to take home with you as we, as we follow Jesus this week. The solution for our relationships is the gospel. When we truly know the love of God and are receiving his mercy and walking in his spirit, he transforms us. He changes our hearts and transforms even our relationships so that we stop comparing to other people because we're secure and we're content with who we are and how God's made us and what our income is and what we look like. And we're just content. And so then we're free, free to love others. What's the result? God's glory is displayed and you and I are filled with joy. I mentioned that in verse one, but Paul gives a specific example of this. And so let's look at that just here briefly, and then we'll wrap up. Chapter six, verse one. Here's the example of sharing burdens. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in a trespass, in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. God calls us, when we share our burdens and love each other, one way is that we have to go correct people sometimes. Go admonish and go help them get on the right path. But see, but before you go too quick and starting to correct everyone, this text tells us how, how to do it. It says, you who are spiritual, so this is any believer. Like it should be a normal thing. Those who have the Holy Spirit ought to be looking out for each other and saying, hey, you look discouraged. Are you okay? Hey, are, are, are you okay? Because I've seen you miss the last several worship gatherings or home groups. Or, hey, I've seen your attitude just kind of off. Like, are, are you okay? Like, this should be normal. It should be normal in a church where we know each other so deeply, where it becomes normal to say, hey, brother, hey, sister, are you okay? And it says out of gentleness, with the goal of restoration. That's always the goal. It's never gossip. It's, it's never to make yourself feel better about yourself. It's never arrogance. It's always restoration. That's always the goal. And we do it in love and we do it with gentleness. It says, with the desire to restore him with the spirit of gentleness. That word restore, it refers to a bone that's dislocated. Now, if you've ever had a, a dislocated you know, elbow or knee or whatever or ankle, and you know that having a dislocated body part is extremely painful. And so what has to happen is it has to be reset and put back into place, which also is painful. But it's a healing pain that's necessary because when, when you're dislocated, you can't function and you're in even greater pain. And so maybe some of you right now, as you're listening, maybe you're dislocated. Maybe you're struggling with a pattern, a sinful pattern that has you so down that you know in your soul that you're dislocated and you need to be restored. You need help. Will you be teachable? Will you have a spirit that wants to receive help? And may we be a church where we gladly give it with a spirit of gentleness, with a desire to restore Remember, a burden is anything that is heavy, that weighs on your soul, that would threaten to crush your joy in Jesus. That burden could be a sinful pattern. Let someone in our church come and reach out 
and let us help you pray with you and restore you to the joy of the Lord and to share that burden, to walk in that pain with you. Let's just be honest. We live in a pain, in a world of pain with anxiety and isolation. And by the way, this is a reality before coronavirus. We've always lived in a world of isolation and anxiety. It's just more heightened right now. What we need is real friendships where we can have genuine love for each other, where we go out of our way to serve one another. Now, could you settle for a less real friendship? Yeah, you can. You can settle for service level friendships. You absolutely can. You can settle for friendships that are less committed, less messy, less scary, less vulnerable, less intentional, less, less. Absolutely, you can settle for less. But you won't have the richness of what's real, of a real relationship where we grow, where we have joy together. Real friendships, we're loyal. We serve each other. We don't compete with each other. We support, encourage, we forgive, and we strengthen one another. We don't keep score. We have been set free by the Spirit of God so that we can deeply love others. May we be a church that does this. And in this season, may we show the world that there's still hope and there's still light through how we live and how we love and show that there is a God who's on his throne and we are his people.